Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity to gather and to study your word, continue to study your word. And Lord, we pray for eyes to see how you are moving, how you are working. And Lord, for those times where we can't see, Lord, that we would have the faith and the trust to know that it's in your character to continue to to be involved even when we can't see it. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. A lot of people love a good rags-to-riches story, um, and they're pretty straightforward, right? You have your main character, and they start off with nothing, and then something dramatic happens, and then they're, you know, then, then they have it all. And, you know, it's, in the rags-to-riches story, rarely is it hard work and perseverance spread over a long period of time. Uh, that would, you can't fit that into a two-hour movie. And so typically there's like a benefactor who gives them something or a case of mistaken identity or, you know, they inherit something or that kind of thing and, and then all kind of the ensuing drama. Um, to go from orphan girl to queen of the most powerful kingdom that at that point in time the world had ever seen maybe one of the greatest rag-to-riches stories uh, that, that you could write. And that's exactly what happens in the, in the book of Esther to a young girl named Esther. Uh, today, I, I want to give you kind of a summary of the book. Uh, some of you may, may be very familiar with, uh, with Esther. I'm not sure. Uh, some of you may remember some of the basics. Maybe some of you are, don't know it at all, or uh, perhaps the, the kids haven't really heard it. And so um, I actually just want to kind of give you a summary of it, and then uh, we'll talk about kind of some of the, the aspects of it, and, and then a few take-home lessons. Where today marks, we're going to start a five-week uh, sermon series on the book of Esther. I'm very excited for this. I think that, that this is going to be a lot of fun. I will say right off, there are a couple things that make the book of Esther kind of tricky. One is that Esther is one of two books in all of Scripture that never mentions God. Not once. Never mentions God throughout, throughout the whole thing. Song of Solomon is the other book that, that never mentions God. Um, but there's, yeah, there's, there's no mention of God. And so why would... Why would God include a book in Scripture that never mentions him at all? The other thing that that makes this book a little bit tricky is that, very broadly speaking, these are very broad categories, um, within Scripture, some Scripture is prescriptive. It it tells you what to do, right? Don't sin. Worship Jesus. Do tithe. Whatever, right? Like, it informs you what to do. Some Scripture is descriptive. It's just describing to you the event or the storyline, right? Um, Paul made tents. Great. That is fantastic, right? None of you that I'm aware of are sewing together tents for a living. That's fine. You're not living in sin. Scripture is just describing to us what Paul used to do, right? Jesus traveled to Samaria. Wonderful. Thank you. Now we know, right? No one here that I know of is commanded to go to Samaria. It's just descriptive. Very broadly speaking, all of Esther is descriptive. It's a story. It, it's telling us 
what what happened, and then we're looking for how God is is moving. And and there are some parts that are just kind of complicated. What do we do with that? Right at the very end of the book, the Jews, you know, there's this big turnaround, and the Jews get to slaughter all their enemies. Okay, what do I do with that? Right? Like, I'm pretty sure that's not a, a strong personal application for me. You know, like, that's just telling me what happened, not what I get to do next Thursday, okay? So, it's, there's just kind of some interesting parts about it. A couple other unique aspects of Esther. Uh, as we, um, it's one of two books that is, uh, is named after a woman, the other one being Ruth. It's one of ten books not quoted in the New Testament. Uh, as we said, it's one of two books that does not mention God. Um, it is one of two books that deals specifically with the persecution of the Israelites or of the Jews. The other one is Exodus. Also, in Jewish tradition today, there are two feasts that they celebrate that are not outlined in, um, in, in really kind of the Old Testament, or at least in, in the Exodus, right? There's, um, I think there's seven different feasts that, that God gives the, the Israelites in Exodus, but they actually celebrate two other ones today. One of them is, uh, is Hanukkah, um, which you're probably familiar with. The other one is Purim, P-U-R-I-M, and that whole feast is based on the book of Esther. And so for Jews today, it does tell them where that, that feast originated. So, um, why don't you throw up the slide just of, of the main characters, and uh, I'm just going to give you kind of a, a summary. We've got Mordecai, a good guy, loves the Lord. Um, he's the uncle who, who raises up Esther. Esther is the orphan girl who goes from, you know, orphan to queen. We've got uh, King um, Ahasuerus, or, or Queen Xerxes, or King Xerxes, um, and in, I mean, real, yeah, fascinating guy. You can look up some, some stuff on him. We have Queen Vashti. She just plays kind of a short little role there at the beginning. And then Haman, um, who is the bad guy, so well descriptive by this kid's cartoon that I found off of Google. So, all righty. I'm going to give you kind of the PG summary of, of Esther. One of the things that I appreciate about Scripture, and I, most of Scripture does this, is that even the parts that are kind of scandalous, Scripture words it in such a way that it's still safe handling for the children. Um, you know, there's very few parts where you would have to say, and skip to the next chapter, right? Like, it really handles, handles those well. So the story begins with King Xerxes. Um, he had absolute control of the largest kingdom that the world had ever known up until that point. All-powerful king, he gets to do whatever he wants, uh, whenever he wants. Uh, he got that position just because he inherited it from dad, okay? One of the few rules that the king had to live with is that once an order or a decree went out to all the nation, it could not be withdrawn. And this is, this is going to come into play later on. This is very important. So he couldn't change his mind, right? If he, just, if he was grumpy on Saturday night and he sends out a decree on Sunday morning, he's like, oh, I should not have done that. Too late. Nothing you can do about it. It's gone. It's out. It's, there's, no, there's no getting that, that back. So one day, the king has a large party, a very lavish party that lasts for six months. Um, at the end of the party... Uh, he uh, tells his wife, the queen, to come in and display for everyone how beautiful she was. And she said no. This was rude. 
um, but it was also very embarrassing for the king. And so what does the, the king do? And, um, and so he actually makes this decree that she's no longer allowed to be queen. She is fired from the position. We don't actually know what happened to her beyond that, other than she got fired from being queen. And so the king proceeds to hold auditions for a new queen. Um, in the capital city of Susa, we have this young orphan girl named Esther, who was raised by her uncle, a good man, uh, by the name of Mordecai. Esther was very beautiful. She's invited in to audition for this role of queen. And after a year of preparation, she is chosen as the new queen. However, throughout this process, she hides her national identity. She hides the fact that, that she's an Israelite or a Jew, and this is going to come into play later on. Things are okay for a little while, but then an evil plot begins to form. Um, one of the king's best friends is an evil man by the name of Haman. And I think you don't have to do this, but I remember reading that, um, uh, so Jews today, they will, on the Feast of Purim, they read through the story, and then whenever Haman's name is read, I think everyone like boos or hisses or something like that. And I'm not asking you to do that, I'm just, you know, be pretty dynamic if you're reading this in your local synagogue. Uh, Haman is an Agagite, so he's a descendant of the Canaanites, so these are the ancient enemies of the Jews. Um, Haman works his way up to the top, he, he's good buds with King Xerxes, and King Xerxes says that everyone should bow down to Haman when he walks past. So everyone does that, except for one man, Morde or, um, Mordecai, so Esther's uncle. So Haman is mad. Um, he wants... Mordecai dead. But in true mafia fashion, he doesn't just want Mordecai dead. He wants his parents dead. He wants his brothers dead. He wants the family dead. He wants the dog dead. Like, he just wants everyone to die that is in any way related to Mordecai. So, Haman learns um, that Mordecai is a Jew. And so he devises a plan to literally have all Jews killed in the entire Persian kingdom. He tricks Xerxes into this plan. He thinks it's great, and then the two of them have a drinking party afterwards to celebrate their really horrible idea. Um, all the Jewish people all across the kingdom begin to mourn. Um, a date has been set where pretty much anyone is allowed to kill their Jewish neighbor. And I can remember it because it's the 12th month and the 13th day, which is my birthday, no correlation, even though technically I think it's more like March, April, but uh, 12th month, 13th day. Uh, so Mordecai and Esther, they come up with a plan together. Esther is going to approach the king. She's going to reveal her identity as a Jew as well, too. And then she's going to plead with him to, to reverse this decree. But there's, there's kind of a, a glitch in the plan, or I'm about a glitch, but kind of a hang-up. Anyone who approaches the king without permission, by default, is executed. So you don't just call up the secretary and be like, hey, can I schedule an appointment with King Xerxes on Saturday at 10? You have to wait for King Xerxes to ask for you to come in. Otherwise, you just, you just sit and wait. So they have this plan. The queen approaches uh, King Xerxes. He extends mercy. He doesn't kill her. He lets her approach. 
And she requests, and then it, it's, it's a clever deal, it's kind of a, a two-day thing, she requests that both the king and Haman come to a special banquet that, that, that she has planned, right? So she has this, this wonderful banquet, and Haman thinks that he's really hot stuff, and then, um, you know, King Xerxes is like, well, hey, so what is it that you wanted of me? And she's like, well, why don't you come back to a second banquet tomorrow, and then I'll pitch the idea to you. So they, so, right, and so they, they both agree, Haman thinks he's, he's pretty hot stuff. Then that night is really where the story turns. King Xerxes can't sleep. Uh, since he can't sleep, he orders that the archives be brought in and read to him. Apparently this is a great way to fall asleep. Uh, in reading of the archives, he remembers that Mordecai, Esther's husband and devout enemy of Haman, um, had revealed this plot and saved the king's life and that kind of thing, but nothing had been done for him. So the king gets up in the morning... Haman's walking in, and he says, uh, Haman, what should be done for someone the king wants to honor? And Haman thinks that he's talking about him, and so he comes up with this lavish plan, and the king says, that's a great idea. You go do that for Mordecai, which is just brutal in your face. So he does that, and then at that point, like, pretty much everyone realizes that things are going to go real bad for Haman real, real quick. So they do this. Haman shows up to the banquet. Esther hosts the banquet all this other kind of stuff. And then at the end of the banquet, she reveals her identity as a Jew. She calls out Haman for being treacherous right in front of the king because he's in the room too. So I'm sure that was kind of awkward. And then she begs the king to spare her life. The king is mad, super mad. He steps out of the room to just like calm down, get a breath of fresh air. When he comes back in, Haman had just fallen in front of the queen to beg for his life, but the king thinks that, that Haman is attacking his queen, and so now he just completely loses his top. So Haman's executed. Um, so Queen Esther says, "What well, you know, can, can you reverse the decree? And the king says, I can't. It's gone out. There's, there's nothing that can be done. So Esther says, well, how about this? On the day that you said that anyone could kill a Jew that wanted to be, on the day before, you let the Jews kill all of their enemies. And so that's what happens. That goes out. The Jews um, completely decimate all their enemies all over the, the kingdom. Um, in this kind of this epic reversal, Esther remains queen. Mordecai is raised to second in the kingdom. Book ends. That's what you get. We don't know who wrote the book of Esther. Um, we have pretty good data, though, just on the timeline of it, just because, I mean, these are historical figures, so we're able to, to track that. The book reads very well. It's smooth. It's fast. It's a good storyline. Uh, if you want to put up the, the timeline there, there real quick. Xerxes was only king for about 20 years. Um, and so we know when Esther became queen. Uh, it fits between chapters 6 and 7 on, on the book of Ezra. Um, it, the, the whole book actually covers about 10 years. Um, you know, Vashti is dethroned as queen. It's about another 4 or 5 years because, before Esther becomes queen. She's queen about four or five years before uh, Haman comes on. We know that Xerxes was assassinated. We have no idea what happened to Esther afterwards. Really, the only thing we know about Esther is what's written in, in the book of Esther. I don't think we have a lot of other kind of supporting documents to, to kind of fill in, in the gaps on that. One other thing, too, that, that I would point out, um, the, um, the, the Persian Empire... If, I gave them slides, and now I'm going all over the place. 
Um, the setting for this takes place in the, in the Persian Empire. As I had said, up until that point in, in history, the Persian Empire was the largest empire the world had ever known. I mean, it covers modern-day Turkey, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, Jordan, Lebanon, Israel, parts of Egypt, Sudan, Libya, uh, and Arabia. This is just, this is millions and millions of people. This is dozens, perhaps hundreds of, of different languages. And then you just have the one king with absolute power over all of it. Something that I found kind of interesting, some of you may know the story of the 300, the 300 Greeks that withheld the invading Persian army. There was a movie made about it in 2006 to 2007. Um, that the, the invading king, that was King Xerxes. That was Esther's husband. And one of the few things that he is known for is this invasion of Greece that just failed horribly. And what happened was there was a very narrow passageway. The Persian army were coming, and, and the Greeks, really good soldiers, they just formed up in that narrow passageway, and they were able to withstand um, thousands of Persians until a shepherd betrayed them and told them about this trail that went around behind them. And so then the Persians were able to circle then in, in behind the Greeks and then uh, eventually kill them all. So that whole story, though, that's, that's Xerxes' husband, and he failed miserably at, at trying, to conquer, uh, trying to conquer Greece. A couple take-home lessons on this for you today. Um, one is just a fascinating comparison between Esther and Ruth, right? I mean, there's some really influential women in, in the Old Testament. Ruth and Esther are the two books that get named after women. Um, I thought we had done Ruth a couple years ago. It was actually 2016, so it was like five years ago that we did uh, a sermon series on Ruth. Had I known now what I, or had I known then what I know now, I actually would have done the, these two books back to back. Um, Ruth was a foreigner. She was a Gentile who moved into the land of Israel. Esther was a Jew. She was an Israelite. Ruth was a widow, so she was probably also older when she got married. Esther is a young single girl, never married. The story of Ruth takes place in a, a small Jewish village. The story of Esther takes place in the capital city of Susa. This is the, the political epicenter of the world in the most powerful kingdom on the earth. Ruth is initially very poor, uh, but then she marries a farmer, uh, and, and it seems he was a man of respectable income. Uh, we know that Esther was an orphan raised by her uncle. He possibly had a, a government job. But then Esther becomes queen of the most powerful uh, nation in the world. Ruth marries a good man, farmer, who loved the Lord. Esther marries a sovereign monarch uh, who's like probably, by our standards, a narcissist. Uh, Ruth had children, um, and she actually becomes part of the ancestry of Christ. We don't know if Esther had any children the story of Ruth immediately impacts just a few families. The story of Esther involves pretty much all the Jewish people spread across, um, I believe it says 127 provinces. I mean, this is national, this is international, this just, her, what happens in her life affects everyone. And yet in both stories, I mean, these two stories are about as poor opposite as you could be, as to who they are and life circumstances and who they marry and the outcomes of their decision and everything. I mean, it is just, it is both ends of the spectrum. 
And yet in both stories, you see God involving himself in the affairs, paying attention to the details. He guides, he directs, he intervenes. I mean, they're fascinating stories, but if you look for God, he is literally all over the pages on, on both of these stories. Just in, in, it's just saturated. And so regardless of widow or virgin or farmer's field or king's palace or rich or poor or rural or urban, just that God loves you and that he is very interested in the details of your life. And that he has a plan for you. That God is present, that he is working on behalf of his people. And you just, you cannot escape just the eye and and the involvement of, of God. You are not so small, nor are you so big and awesome that God is not involved in your life. So first lesson, regardless of stature, God is involved in your life. Second thing that, that I would leave with you. Never assume that all the great opportunities are past. Uh, you, ha- you have opportunities to make decisions just like Ruth and Esther. Both, both Ruth and Esther have, have lines that they have become famous for. And in the time, maybe it, it, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. But, but their, their, their lines, their, their comments that have just... Um, inspired and impacted people for nations. Ruth famously said this. Um, and Naomi, her mother-in-law, is telling her that she should go home. And Ruth says, no, I'm going to go with you. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. One of the most famous lines coming out of the story of Ruth. Esther. Um, Esther and Mordecai are, are debating, you know, what to do, how to move forward. Esther says that anyone who, who goes before the king gets killed if, if there's not an invitation. More, um, verse, and then Mordecai told them in reply to Esther, Do not think of yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And this, Mordecai said, this is a famous line too, who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told this reply to Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Both women, full-heartedly, gave themselves to the Lord, to what, he, what needed to be done, and were just completely willing to completely lay everything on the line and sacrifice everything for what needed to happen. God has provided you with opportunities just like Esther and Ruth and Moses and Samson and Deborah and David and, and Joseph. So, second, so first lesson, regardless of stature, God is involved in your life. Second lesson, never assume that all the days of great opportunity are past. Third, and this will probably be our main theme really for, for the next um, uh, sermons as we go through this, the next four sermons, is that God is working even when we don't see him in the moment. 
Like we said, God isn't mentioned in the book of Esther, but if you go back and look over it, all these amazing things happen where in retrospect you say, that, that must have been God, that must have been God, that must have been God, that, that must have been God. Even one of the things that um, one of the commentators pointed out is that at the beginning of the year, so Purim comes from, from the, the, the word for dice, or um, lots. They basically cast lots on when they should decide to slaughter all the Jews. This was at the beginning of the year. You know what date came up? Pretty much a year later. Meaning that Esther and Mordecai and all the other Jews pretty much had an entire year or the maximum allowable time to figure out a response, respond, be prepared, be ready, right? If it had happened a week later, done. And yet God is involved in that rolling of the dice to say, to give them the maximum allowable time. We can see all these distinct times where God intervenes to, to save his people. I've lived long enough to know dry seasons and hard seasons and the seasons where you can't see God or feel God or find God. But I've also lived long enough to be able to look back on some of those seasons and now, from this perspective, see God all over the place. All over the place. Like in the moment, it feels like the driest desert. But now you go, he was here, he was there, he was here, he was there. Every step of the way, he was involving himself, whether I recognized it, whether I wanted it, whether I had a good attitude about it, he was there. All over the place. So, third lesson, God is working even when, when we don't see him. Romans eight twenty eight. we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Esther. And Lord, in some ways, it's hard to relate to simply because uh, we don't live in palaces. And yet at the same time, Lord, it's so encouraging to see how you work and move even when we don't see it. And how you are involving yourself in our lives, even when, we, when, when we're blind to it. Lord, I pray that over these next couple weeks that we would better learn to see you. And Lord, in times where we can't see you, that we would trust and have faith that you are working and that you are present and that you are there. God, thank you for this remarkable story of Esther. Thank you that one day, we will get to meet her and uh, ask her more about this amazing story. Thank you for this community. I pray for all of us here that we would love you and worship you. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at Luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.